when I do talks and uh, so we, sometimes we go into prisons and do talks to the lads and stuff and I, I, I often said if you would have asked my younger self could I create a business and form it myself and think I'd be, I would all be laughing and then I, I got into trouble to be honest I, I got into trouble my mum I was one of the kids where my, my 16th birthday present was a flat John Hastings is an entrepreneur who at the age of 16 uh, was moved out of the family home into his own flat by his parents, which ultimately led to him being homeless, traveling around the country, living on the streets, stealing, begging, um, spending numerous times uh, in young offenders institutes, turning to drugs and crime, till eventually to where he is today, running his own business and providing for his own family. This is an inspirational story, one that touches on every aspect of adversity to taking charge of your own life. I'm Richard Osborne and this is Drive, the small business podcast from UKBF. Hello John, it's a uh, pleasure to meet you uh, and I've heard good things about yourself from a mutual contact um, somebody who was sat next to you at some business awards where I uh, understand you uh, won an award yourself. No, 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 no. Uh, no, it was on the same table ah. as another company. It was Powerbox, the IT next to us, um, uh, that, that got an award for the um, community business of the year, I think it was. Ah. But I was sat on the same table with Patrick from the, from the bank from... Yes, yeah, no, an amazing guy. Yeah, really, really pleasure to speak to him and uh, a pleasure to be there. We just joined the Federation of Small Businesses, the FSB, so it was one of the first events that I'd actually, you know, a sit-down event yeah. that I'd gone to. So I was a yeah. little bit out of my depth, <laughs> being, being a, a, a council estate lad off an estate, you know, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> growing up here, working class. So how do you find it being, uh, I mean, when you just say um, uh, out of your depth, uh, I think uh, as we're having a conversation, as uh, as we chat, the listeners will get to understand a bit more about why you may have felt in debt. But before we get to that, yeah. how did you um, find the awards? How did you find being there? But it was one of the first. It's, I didn't know where to look or what to do next. <laughs> it, was, it was many people everywhere. Uh, and I was constantly going from conversation to conversation to people to people. And then um, Andy Peters was there as well. He was he was guesting. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was trying to get his attention and without being creepy and stuff. But I, I was also telling other people, oh, I'd been interviewed by him years ago and that. So, uh, yeah, no, it was a good event. Yeah, very good. It was good. The, the food... Yeah, the food wasn't really. I'm, I'm um, steak pie and chips, uh, you know, fish and chips kind of guy, you know, kebab, yeah. you know that. And it, it was small, really um, military style delivered food. It all came out at the same time. They all went down on the on the thingies at the same time. And I've never been to anything like that before, where it was all like a military exercise and a dance, and it was all procedure, you know. <laughs> And it's like, wow, okay, this is, this is... The, uh, I love listening to you describe that. The, um, I've, I've been to a couple of awards events over the years myself, and I, I completely get where you're coming from. And the, I find it warming listening to you describing it in a sort of like, it's almost somewhat excited way, but sort of like, I don't know really what's it. I, wh wh which knife and fork do I use it? <clears throat> and uh, the... Uh, it's now at, where you, at this moment in time. So you run a, a community business um, that recycles IT, and I've, the community aspect of that is really important um, as well. Because many people are sitting and think, right, recycle IT. You know, I've got a, you know, I'm a company. I've got a whole load of computers to get rid of. I get somebody come along and mush them up and get rid of them with all the nice certificate, and I'm done with. Uh, you do a bit more than that. Uh, give us a quick run through as to what it is that you do. So, yeah, so Recycle IT is a community interest company. It's a social enterprise and we collect and recycle computer equipment under environment agency licenses. So there's a T11 refurbish and repair license and a waste carriers and brokers license involved. Uh, and that, that means that we can provide duty of care. 
um, the asset management, that part of it, uh, to professional organisations, to companies. Um, the, the social part, the community part is that we, we refurbish the equipment where it's possible when it's realistically usable again. Um, and we provide it back to the community at half price or at, or at least significantly less because we're funded by National Lottery and some other funders. Um, and we also have volunteers and placements that come from disadvantaged backgrounds. So we're working with Bolton Council and first and Best Choices. And we have a couple of uh, volunteers that are autistic and have, have learning disabilities. Um, it, it, there's, there's gaps, there's barriers, there's, there's, un, there's unfairness in the pricing of IT to the community, you know, to, to low income and stuff. There's no other, there are very few models where um, it, it's price reduced, you know, the price points are down as, as low as possible to make them reachable. Um, so that's why we've created Recycle IT, to be honest. In 2021, we thought there's, it's unfair. There's that much amount of waste that I think the figures are around 3.2 million tons worth of electronic waste sitting around in offices and, and buildings. Um, we're part of the Manchester Digital Task Force up here. So that's the Greater Manchester Combined Authorities um, Coalition of uh, Digital so like a digital ecosystem of organisations, people and that, uh, challenging and tackling digital poverty in Manchester. Their figures for, uh, the rough approximate figures for digital isolation in Manchester is 1.2 million. So we saw those figures and thought, well, there's a great inadequacy here. There's a great gap. Um, and there's an also an opportunity for an organisation to, uh, to be the vehicle in between the industry and the community. We do the same model as ITAD. So ITAD is information technology asset disposal. So we offer the, the, the collection, the duty of care, the asset tracking, the reports and the, and the, and the CSR, the, the corporate social responsibility reports at the end of it as well. Um, and with a complete solution with all every else solutions for plastics, metals, PCB boards, batteries, aluminiums, coppers, gold, everything's broken down that's not usable into, it, into its parts. Um, and again, that's in response to the chip shortage and the material shortage that's in the world is is don't let these things go to landfill. Let's let's reuse them. Let's get as much life as we can out of them uh, and put them back into the community. But when we were developing, actually, we develop. I developed it personally and with the thought mind and the development process of, um, well, what about the community? Can we not involve that? Can we not? I, I'd, before the pandemic, I'd been a support worker with people with disabilities and autism. So I'd learned person-centered approach um, and uh, those kind of hidden voices, the kind of community aspects and, and the, so, you know, the impacts that we can do. So during pandemic, um, when I was all thinking many, many things and reevaluating our lives and such, I kind of built in to the, to the, the, the core development the aspects of, of how we were going to do this um, with volunteer and placement programs specifically in mind so that so that people from disadvantaged backgrounds can get a break in in working with tech um, and it's a it's an actual the, the magic is amazing people have come people have seen that when volunteers are in and we're all running and we're all around the, the, the workbench there's an amazing atmosphere we're all being really productive we're all helping the community we're all you know it's <sighs> Yeah, it's magic. It's amazing. <laughs> I think I think uh, one of the things uh, you mentioned, <clears throat> you're a, a community interest company. You work with volunteers. You work with groups within the community. And um, now this is um, this podcast the conversation we're, ha we're having here is I've said a moment ago off the back of an introduction where you were sat next to a mutual contact uh, Patrick at, at some awards. And I know nothing more than just a few sentences about you. Um, but those few sentences really um, inspired me literally to reach out and just say, I'd love to have a conversation with you. But going really cold here um, and what's brought you to the point where you are running a business, but you've opted a community interest business and with what you do. Um, Take um, take us back to where you started from, if we can. So, um, what was John growing up? 
Oh, right. Uh, I grew up in North Yorkshire in Scarborough. Didn't attend school, really. Didn't get on with it. Had psoriasis. Was kind of a nerdy little, you know, geeky kind of kid that didn't get on with everybody else. So I was bullied and um, that kind of stuff. I went through that those changes at school. So I left school at 15. Um, and being in a seaside town, I was in the arcades. So at, 11, at 10, 11 years old, I was playing Pac-Man, Missile Command, Asteroids. You know, these were... Yeah, in this, yeah, in the seventies, eighties. Um, so yeah, I got it. I, I remember seeing the first ZX eighty one in W H Smiths, and then the I got a ZX Spectrum for Christmas one year, um, and I and I took it apart that same year. <laughs> yeah, literally at eleven. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, the things were not. If anybody remembers ZX Spectrums, they're incredibly noisy, and there was no volume on them. You couldn't turn them. You couldn't turn them down when they were loading the games. And I used to want to play after bedtime. And this thing used to give me away all the time. So I opened it up, found the sound, little sound chip inside it and cut it. And that was my first experiment with uh, opening electronics up. I think what um, some listeners may not even be aware of is back in that day as well, on the Spectrum in particular, if you wanted to load a game, you had to set the volume on the tape recorder to the exact right volume. Generally, you use Tipex <clears throat> to mark it. And that's... Oh yeah, yeah, because I had a um a spectrum as well. So, the uh, I remember this, and um it would screech for about twenty minutes to half an hour loading That's the game. Right. Yeah, that noise. Yeah, that noise. Yeah, and it wasn't from the telly. It wasn't from anywhere else. It was from the actual ZX spectrum yeah. itself inside so it. So with with you, so if you're doing that, you're leaving school at fifteen. Yeah. And then I, I got into trouble. To be honest, I, I got into trouble. My mum. I was one of the kids where my sixteenth birthday present was a flat. Right. You know, I I was out. <laughs> you know, they they couldn't handle me, and the best thing for me was to put me out into the world and let the world deal with me, and me deal learn, learn from the world. So I made a lot of mistakes and moved around a lot as a kid, uh, and as a young adult, uh, I moved to York, uh, Leeds, Bridlington, I mean, uh, then Manchester, all over the place. Um, and I became homeless. I got into drugs and alcohol. I started having a criminal record, and I ended up being sentenced. I ended up with custodial sentences and uh, and, and those kind of. Can we go? Can we go through that a bit? So when you say your sixteenth birthday present was a flat, um, I mean, what do you actually mean by that? As in, so my mom and dad got. From a friend, uh, a family friend, they'd organised for me to have a flat, to to rent a flat, and to start with uh, a YTS. You, no, I the, started on the YTS as well, so I'm familiar with that. The yeah. YTSs, yeah. Uh, so now it'd be Kickstarter, wouldn't it? It'd be Kickstarter and stuff like that. The, the the equivalent to that back in the day, yeah. So you, so back in then, you was probably only earning about twenty seven pound a week. Twenty. 23 quid, I think it was, or something. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, so yeah, how yeah. self-sufficient did, was you expected to be at the age of 16 in a flat? 100%. 100%, yeah, it was all mine. My mum did come round and sort out all my mess, and, you know, she, but that, that was one of the reasons why I ended up moving away, because every other day she was coming round and, and kind of cleaning up and sorting out. and Yeah, but I'd moved out. <laughs> and yeah, and I was independent, and I was all stropping. I knew I was one of those kids. I had all the answers, you know. As you were talking to me, I knew what you were saying, and I knew what you were about to get to the end. And I was, and you could see it in my face impatiently. I'm waiting patiently. You know, I was, I was too fast for the world, and it was too slow for me as a kid. Now, ironically, I have a 17 year old son, and he has exactly the same traits. <laughs> <laughs> you you moved out of that flat that. Uh, your parents um, put, put for you. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, did I, I ended up, yeah, running away from it all and moving to the next town and then getting into a series of bad events and bad thingies. Uh, and, and it did lead to homelessness, to drug abuse, to alcohol, to uh, to incarceration, to, to making wrong choices. Um, how, how much can we um, talk about here in the sense that um, um, I'm trying to picture paint a picture in my head of um now if i just relate to stuff so i've i've been um my places were squats so if we're thinking in that sort of scenario so we're not talking um rental accommodation uh is this the same sort of picture here 
Yeah, no, sometimes actually homeless, homeless, actually on the streets, yeah. homeless. No. Yeah, not just not just um, couch surfing and, and friends' places and stuff like that, no. Uh, so what, um, when you're in that situation, um, are you still sort of 16, 17, perhaps, around that sort of age? Oh, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, 18, uh, yeah, 20, 22, 24. <laughs> yeah. I think I, I didn't actually settle down until I was around 35, well, 40. So quite a, quite a while then. Yeah. Uh, um, how do you how do you eat? Food banks, um, ceiling, getting away with it becomes part. Anybody who listens to this has been homeless. It, you know, you you recognise this. It becomes part of your day's circle, part of your day's events. Where you go, how you you know you get prepped for the night. You get your food, everything together. You go your places. You you have your runs. You have your routines. So you have certain places and certain things. And you've been in Northampton and stuff, you won't recognise the ones in Manchester, but yeah, we have soup vans, soup kitchens and, and Sister Pauline's and Barney Bus and um, the uh, mustard trees and, you know, different ways, different things, yeah. So you're in um, you're in that situation. Um, I'm making an assumption here you've lost contact with your parents. Oh, yeah. Oh, broke contact. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, how do you feel? And when you're at that point, a man's a little subjective. I'm an only child, so I felt like I always do <laughs> on my own. <laughs> yeah, I've not siblings. I've no any. You know, so I ever got into trouble, it was my fault. I couldn't blame anybody else. Um, <laughs> so being out in the world on my own, I was very self reliant. And even though I've got, I'm, I've now settled and sort of uh, been married. 13 years, I've got five children. I still, you know, I'm still a, a lone soldier in some, in many ways. Um, I, don't, I share my life with everybody and everything, but I've still got that core single child, only child kind of thing around me. So being homeless and not on, on, on yeah, actually, it's, it's no, 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 there's no pangs for family, no things for this or the other, sorry. Um, so how long... Um, well, there's two questions here, really, I, that are in my mind. One is, how long were you on the streets for? And at what point did criminal activity um, surface as, I, I'm, I'm assuming, a way out or a, way, a survival instinct? So, um, so I've been on and off homeless for about 20, 15, 20 years, something like that. Yeah, uh, and criminal activity was there always from the start. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, even before I left home. One of the reasons why I left home was my criminal activity. <laughs> yeah, yes. We used to call us naughty boys and lads and stuff, but I'm sure if I was tested back in the day, they'd say, oh, you've got this condition, you've got that condition, you've got, you know, you've got ADHD or something or other, uh, you know. I can never sit still, I, can, I can't. Even even when I lay down in bed at night, I now my legs twitch and go. So I've restless leg syndrome, and I, I, all my life I've not stopped. <laughs> During um, when I've uh, I've um, been trained for mentoring or coaching young people who uh, are going through a rough time, and part of that training is dismissing, like literally getting out of your mind the concept of right or wrong and working on what is the problem you're trying to solve in the, with the actions you are doing. Uh, so if it was to apply that sort of, that methodology and what we're chatting about here, um, with what you was going through and what you was doing, what was the problem you feel that you was trying to solve at that time or trying to overcome? A good time. Now there's honesty. That's that, yeah, yeah. A good time, yeah. A r irresponsible good time on other people's behalf, on their costs, yeah. So I was very selfish, to be honest. I mean, as, a, as a young adult, I was incredibly selfish. Yeah, not a nice person at all. The um, You didn't really uh, have any consequence, really, around it. You, had, um, you didn't really have anything to lose. No, I didn't have no. But being on my own and being self-sufficient and stuff, it, I was the book. The book stopped with me. So anything that happened was it happened to me, and I I could deal with that. Yeah, yeah. From fights to 
being robbed to robbing others to yeah all of that kind of yeah whatever it was yeah it was the the, the the end result of it so i was okay with that that's i think that's that's what got me through with being okay with situations that are dire and learning to cope with them and learning to uh weather through it waking up at seven o'clock in the morning on the street coldness in your bones things like that <laughs> yeah uh, and having to get up and motivate yourself but during that time um drugs came into the picture and alcohol came yeah in. yeah yeah yes yeah. started with soft drugs and uh, and then ended up in amph- amphetamines and but eventually uh the law caught up yes yeah so i'm not bulletproof yeah uh living a lifestyle committing crimes and from shoplifting to um all sorts of kind of different things yeah um it caught up with me and ended up getting at first probation at first you know the usual soft you know the usual stuff uh, and then ended up with a with custodial sentences and young offenders institutes so how long was you there for um my longest sentence was 18 months but it was typically six or nine months and then to 18 months um but i ended up so you so, was in and out a few times yeah uh, oh yeah i was uh, 27 custodials nuts Nine custodials, I think I've had seven or nine, one of those two. So yeah, I've been in and out a few times. I know, I know what the inside of a cell looks like. So the, I find that um, I don't even know what word to use. Really, I don't want to use the word like amazing, or because it's not. But if you've got a situation, um, looking from the outside in, you've got a young person from teenage years for a number of years who's been on the street um, surviving. Um, without consequence, uh, sorry, con- without consequences isn't the right word, but you've got, you're in a situation where you haven't got anything to lose, so you've got nothing to without fight. responsibilities, definitely, yeah, without the responsibilities and clearly and- the custodial situation isn't working. If it if you're going back and forward there, no, but it, there has to be something in place. I, I mean, I, I I was committing crimes, I was doing wrong to society, to the local community, and I needed to be punished for that. I, 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 I get that, but obviously putting you in a Young Offenders Institute... It was it was the right thing to do, I think. The the rehabilitation of offenders, I, I get what you mean, ex-offenders and former, you know, uh, um, we're doing some work ourselves now with, with former offenders and stuff myself to give back. And and you're right about the rehabilitation and just sitting in a cell and custodial. There's, there's many different... That was back in the 70s and 80s, 90s. It's not the same system now. No, it's, it's it's progressed a lot. Yeah, yeah. But you you you're right. There was a circle going on. There was there was a, a commit crime, re- being released from crime, having nothing, having no flat, going back into homelessness, back into crime, uh, and it was very circular. Yeah, I had an epiphany. Yeah, I did. There was a milestone. Yeah. Um. So in two thousand, I returned to Hull, um, and I was in the Salvation Army Tower Block. And I was actually in the same on, in the same tower block on the same floor, but not in the same room, facing out over the same view that I had that I was ten years prior. Um, and I was looking out over the view, and I had an epiphany of what I'd, what I'd done in the last ten years was nothing. You know, to myself personally, I hadn't made any progress. I hadn't gone anywhere. I hadn't got anything to show for myself. Um, and I put my hands in my pockets, and there was nothing in them. And it was a 10-year full cycle, and I'm back in the same building on the same floor looking out over the same view. And I, and I just realized what had led me back to this point in this place was choices. And it was my choices, making bad choices, making wrong decisions. Um, so I made a vow to myself to stop making bad choices and start making good choices. And uh, I didn't realize what it was, but it, it, somebody said when I've described this le- uh, later that everything starts with a thought. I've got this up on the wall up on, the, on the side up there now. And I love that that's handwritten as well. It's not one of those off-the-shelf signs you buy. You've literally wrote that on the wall. Yeah, everything starts. Well, yeah, I suppose everything does. Yeah, when you lift your hand, when you think about things, when you go to start to do something, the thought first is first. It's always the thought first. That's, the, that's your core with everything. It always starts with a thought. And I realized, stop making bad decisions, stop making wrong choices, start making right choices. And that was in 2000. So it was quite apt because we'd gone through the millennium. We'd just done the Y2K bug. Um, we were into a fresh new dawn, a new age, digital. Da, 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 da. Um, and, I, and I just, yeah, I'd, I'd made this decision. Right. That's it. Stop it. Stop making wrong choices. And 
like any kind of new revelation, a new um, take on on or new adventure or whatever you you however you want to sum it up. I, I went through the honeymoon period with it. So first year or so, I was all singing, all dancing. I was yes, I'm empowered. Yes, I'm going to make the right choices. Yes, I'm going to do the right things. And yes, it was hard breaking circles, making uh, different different friends, different people, having different conversations from typical uh, typical conversations and that. Uh, and I think that the hardest point for me personally was after about two or three years, when the longer we know when the longer process started to kick in, and it was staying true to it then. Um, and I, I, that's when I became homeless again. Um, uh, and I think, I think it was about five years, five or six years. And then I started selling a big issue. Yeah. In Manchester. So how did you, within those first five years, because you need uh, being in the situation you was in and the temptation of, uh, because it, no matter what anybody says, it is a temptation for easy painkiller, easy uh, money, or especially when you someone like me is an only child, yeah, that has nobody else to respond to. Nobody's looking over me. I've got no responsibility. So, what was you doing to keep on the direction that you wanted to, the epiphany direction? Just staying true to it. Really, really, really focusing on the fact that in the long run this will pay off. In the long run, I will get the opportunities. I will, I will be in the right place at the right time. Serendipity or karma or whatever. People will see that I'm doing the right thing for the right reasons, and I and I'll be helped, or I'll help others, and that'll help me. Yeah, and I'll grow, and I'll I'll change this mindset that I had in my early years of this selfish, destructive, narcissistic, hateful. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't bothered about any of the consequences of, of anything that I did. So this doesn't paint me in a great picture, this podcast, by the way. <laughs> but I have changed my rhyme. <laughs> no, it does, because um, the, I remember before I got married um, and in my younger years, I had so much hate inside me. Um, and the, I remember when I first met my now wife, and she came from a stable family. Her parents had been together. She'd lived with her family the whole time. And I remember like with vindictive tones that you don't know what real life is like. And um, you see it all through these rose tinted glasses. And I would, I just, so the, honestly, how you're, you know, the, the story you're sharing, how you're talking, um, it's not in a bad light. It's a true light. It's like, it's, it's what is, um oh no 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 the the with with where you've gone through and i find it um fascinating listening to you talk um and as elements that i've you know i've not been through everything you've been through but i can relate to some parts um and when you talk about uh when just now you said you're staying true to what you but you know how you see your better future but then you find yourself homeless again. Um, the that obviously is like, like another rug being taken away. But is you started selling the big issue now? People um, who understand what the big issue does for people who are homeless and um, the will get it. And then some people will walk past and think, "Oh, it's just shoving a big issue in my face." But what difference did that make for you? So it gave me an income. It gave me a. a it gave me a job. It's a job. It, it, yeah, it, you're a newspaper salesman or salesperson. So you know, and you're making your own. You you become self-employed. I didn't get all this at first, and a lot of people don't. And yet, you 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 yeah, you, you beget literally overnight when you when you're able to sell the biggest shoe and you you're homeless. You you have the ability to be able to pull yourself out of out of that. You also have the ability to entrench yourself in that too which is what happened to us so i ended up selling the big issue for about three years and i got a regular pitch in um, a, a nice area in manchester in withington um, and and yeah three years later i found myself regularly every single day well mon monday to saturday um selling the big issue from around 10 o'clock till around three four o'clock in the afternoon um and it was yeah 
it was an income. I, I got new, and I ended up getting used to the lifestyle so much um, that I went to the big, like, big issue office and asked them, "Is that I've that become aware that I've become entrenched? So I've got, I've gone into another from the criminal kind of side of stuff and going round and round in circles and stuff, and breaking away from that and having an epiphany, and then becoming homeless again and again and going onto the big issue. I'd actually caught myself into another loop, into and I hadn't realised." Um, so I had another little mini epiphany. You know, I'm very self-aware. I'm one of these Darren Brown types of people that, that's kind of self-analyzing, aware of people, um, and mannerisms, just gesticulations, body language, all, all, all the rest of that. So I, I kind of, what I did a lot, a lot of studying, a lot of social kind of watching and group studying and analyzing. I've done that all my life. And while I was homeless, I was. And selling the biggest show, I was actually watching everybody else and analysing everybody else and I'd forgotten about myself. And then I realised, hang on, I'm doing the same thing here. I'm going round in circles. I'm entrenched into selling the biggest show. This is If I don't break this cycle now, I'm going to be here in another 10 years. And I'm going to be asking the question, how am I here again? Um, so I went to the Big Issue office and said, look, I'm, I'm in this situation now. I'm, I've been selling in Withington for three years. I'd like to get out of it. I'd like to actually go into employment. I'd like to, to, to break the chains. I've got a real love of computers, technology and stuff, but is there anything you can help us with? Are there any employability programs? Are there any, you know, kind of Kickstarters or whatever there are? Um, and they said, yeah, we've, we've just cre- actually created uh, Big Life Employment, which is a, a European social funded employability program where you put on placement for 12 months and it, you, we find you, you know, something that you like. What do you like doing? said, well, I took a ZX Spectrum apart at 11, so I like tech. I've kept up with the birth of the internet, um, been around for creating and making my own PCs and stuff. So, yeah, I'm a bit of a, a geeky whiz kick. And it, it, so Recycle IT isn't a new, it's not a, it's a legacy company, actually. It's a, a franchise legacy. Recycle IT was originally created in Luton by Michelle Rigby and George Ruddock. Michelle Rigby is now CEO, or, or she works at Social Firms UK, um, and I'm not sure what George Ruddock's doing anymore, but they they created and started uh, Recycle IT in 1995 down there, and it ran into trouble with its premises and its building, so they socially franchised Recycle IT up to Manchester, and a, a group called the Aspire Foundation and um, oh, Excel Solutions picked up the franchise, so that when I went to the Big Life Employment, uh, Big Issue Office, and asked them, Get, is there any is there any employability programs they've got? They said yes, we have. We've got actually we've got Recycle IT on our books, and we can place you there for twelve months. <laughs> yeah, it was a very good match. <laughs> it was a very 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 good match. Uh, and six months into the the um, six months into the placement there, myself and two others, we were actually responsible for the day to day actions, the core operations of everything that were going on. Because the the people that were running the um, course, the program, it was an employability program, so they didn't actually know about recycling and tech and stuff like that. It was just boots on the ground, get get through twelve week programs, you know, and off into employment as your CV improved. Um, um, three of us we were actually core responsible for maintaining relationships and and uh, maintaining the the computers and, and and making the flows run. We we contacted Computer Aid International. Um, down in London and organised a partnership with them and myself and two other colleagues who had only been on placement six months were responsible for brokering seven containers across to the developing countries that's 1500 computers that we were responsible for between us so the kind of management the SMT of it the senior management team of it recognised that we were good at this and they left us to it Um, 12 months in the funding went European social funding went they turned around and said well, this is amazing what you've been able to do. We don't want to let this go. So the three of you, if you wanted, we can do a, 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 a company change on on Recycle IT, make it into a community interest company for you, do all your arts and mems. Um, John, you go off to the School for Social Entrepreneurs in uh, Blackburn House in Liverpool. Benford, you go off and do a little bit of workshop production. Danny, you do a little bit of uh, tech stuff at college. And the three of you could run Recycle IT. So from 2006 to 2011, we did. We tried to, we we tried, we did. We, we ran Recycle IT back then. Um, and we had no business plan, no no mentors, no cash flow forecasts, 
no uh, process maps, no, no, that we were completely reactive to the community, to the industry, to this opportunity that we had. We were three lads of a state that because of a placement <laughs> had an opportunity with, with a, a community interest company. So we ran. Sorry, and I didn't explain this before, but this is a second in, in, a, in a iteration of this. Um, so from 2006 to 2011, we ran Recycle IT between the three of us. Um, we started off in a shed, in a little metal shed on a on a removal site. We ended up in a in a community church, and then over into a a two thousand square foot warehouse, shared warehouse with another organisation on Trafford Park, opposite Bowlers. Um, and we collected and recycled five thousand PCs. Um, had a service level agreement with Guinness Partnership for the one hundred and twenty seven offices up and down. We we were funded by community waste funds. Had a big van, um, one hundred and fifty placements that we had come through from City College um, and we did massive amount of work and did massive amount of change but what we didn't do was pay ourselves we didn't we were voluntary as three directors um, and we didn't have any cash flow forecast or any business plan or any any guidance or any mentoring so for a set for four or five years we did a lot of work but it was unchecked it was on it was chaotic and it was scatty just jumping in at that point there then so during that time you just said you were volunteers uh and you were just and you sort of um dare i say winging it a bit but doing really good we, no it was completely winging it richard yeah we were completely so, winging so it. Yeah, how yeah, was yeah. you um surviving financially like how was you putting food on the table during that time uh, director's remunerations i think they called it so you were getting a bit of a salary uh, yes but nothing yeah nothing impactful or anything yeah we was it was just keeping us going and keeping us yeah we were to be honest it was very mismanaged yeah we didn't have any financial management we didn't have any any business management in there whatsoever we were three lads literally off off estates you know that that, and all all we understood at the time was tech and how to work in tech and how to do it we didn't understand the the kind of asset disposal kind of you know the, the the back office stuff so if we compare that time then to where you are now, again. So, um, presumably, um, the business now pays you a wage. It puts you. Well, I was just getting to the point of why. What, so, we like I said, we didn't have a business plan or anything like that. It, it was actually this is this has happened. I've done research about this. This has happened to quite a few organisations. It's too much, too soon, and too on top. So, the cooperative in Manchester moved. There used to be in a big tower block called CIS Tower. Um, cooperative insurable services we used to call it Christmas in strange ways because that's what you could see as Christmas in CIS tower um, and the co-op came on board and recognised that what we were doing um, and sent a couple of containers our way and then we processed that and then we actually got called to their offices in, in Manchester City Centre and asked if we'd like to decommission the CIS tower with them and that was that, yeah, we just stood in front. It was literally like out of a movie. There was the three of us stood at the bottom of this big tower looking at it and just shaking, going, no, no, we can't do this. We can't do this. No. <laughs> it broke our back. Um, and we started blaming each other for why we couldn't do this and why we couldn't sort this and why we hadn't got the systems in place and why we hadn't got the money in place and why we hadn't. And we, we all started pointing at each other and blaming each other and falling out with each other. And it ended up getting argumentative and resentful and hateful. And all three of us walked away from uh, from Recycle IT in 2000 and was it 10? Back at the end of 2010, yeah, 2011. And it went, we all just walked away from it. We gave all the assets to another like-minded organisation that were in the building with us. But effectively, Recycle IT went dormant in, in 2010, 2011. Um, I went into a huge fit pit of despair and depression. Um, I'd become married. So I'd met my wife whilst I was working there on that placement. So I'd gone through this epiphany of making the right choices and then I got into the right place and I was doing the right thing. And I'd even met on Plenty of Fish. I'd met my wife who had five children, no father involved, but there were two, four, six and eight. And it was a perfect ready-made family for me to go into. And everything was brilliant. Everything was amazing. And then we took on too much and we we didn't know what we were doing. So we broke and Recycle IT went, yeah, it completely went. But uh, like I say, I went into a, a huge kind of despair, you know, mental anguish over it all for about three or four years. I just couldn't motivate myself. I couldn't get my back back. I couldn't get myself back to um, to being in the, in the right place in the right time. 
And then somebody, one of my mentors, or a mental health coach, or whatever you want to call them, turned around and said, you know, John, you'd make a great support worker for people with disabilities and learning, you know, learning disabled, uh, with autism and learning dis- disabled ones. And um, I'm like, well, are you, are you kidding? I've got 27 custodial, I've got nine convictions. You know, I'm, I've not done anything since 2000. I've literally not had a PNC since the 2000. This is in 11 years. I've not been stopped once. I've, I'm good now, but still, a support worker for people with autism. No, you'd be amazing because it's just you. It's what you do. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll go, I'll go for it. So I was Lifeways here in Bolton, and I went for it. I went through the interview, and uh, I went through this DBS, enhanced DBS check, where she turned around at the end of it and said, we don't normally take on people like you. But we'll give you a chance. Thank you so much. And it turned out they were right. Yeah, for two and a half years, up to the pandemic, I was a support worker for people with autism and disabilities, uh, and it was amazing. I was just being me, doing my, you know, going out, doing stuff, helping people, and getting paid for it. Um, and then the pandemic hit. Yep, and that was awesome. And I, I, I got furloughed because I've got COPD. I've got self-inflicted asthma, so I've, I got I got furloughed. Uh, and was back at home, and and got it became to a time when the, we were allowed to go back to work for a little bit, and I got bored, so I ended up going back into work. Um, and there was a new, um, a, a, a new team leader, and yeah, it all went wrong. <laughs> I shouldn't have gone back to work. I, he was yeah. I, I ended up being d- dismissed. I ended up leaving. They found a way to get rid of us during the pandemic and then um so i've gone back home i've told my wife lifeways has let us go they found a way to dismiss us uh, we kind of knew that was coming as well uh, and what am i going to do now and that's when my wife turned around and said why don't you reboot why don't you restart recycle it now start it up on your own now why don't you do it because now we've got digital poverty that's on the on the right digital isolation um we've got recycling which we've always had recycling Recycling's always been there, but now there's a need more than ever to reuse our profit, you know, reuse the the items and reuse materials more than ever now. It's on radars when pe- when the chip shortages came out and on PS5s and Xbox Series Xs, nobody could get hold of them. People are going, oh, that's what a chip shortage means. That's what material shortage means. And I'm thinking, I'm sitting back going, yes, we're living on a rock. So yes, this will eventually happen. <laughs> um, but now we've got that, that atmosphere and that climate around us where we have to preserve and have to, and it's more in the front. Uh, and we've we've got the community, we've got CICs and social enterprises. So back in 2010, community interest companies and social enterprises that did exist, we were around, but they weren't taken as seriously. They were kind of like fluffy charities. There was, oh, let's go and play with the, with the social enterprises. You know, we'll do our CSR good and stuff like that. No, we're a business. So our social enterprise is a business first, and it, then it's community-led. Um, so it's more recognised now. In, in, in we have the Social Value Act, so it's you know it's more recognised the amount of work that you can do with social enterprises and social enterprise can do. Um, so I'm like, yeah, that's an absolute brilliant idea. So at the beginning of January 2021, that's when I started to map it all out. I'm dyslexic, so it takes me a while to to get things down paper-wise and stuff. Um, then I mapped it all out and I did big flow charts and worked it all out and that's where volunteering came in and disabilities came in and, and different backgrounds and that, and that whole scope of things came together. Formed the company in May of 2021 and we launched and started trading on October in 2021 and it's now March 2023. Yeah, <laughs> we're still here <laughs> and we did it. This, uh, and... Uh, as, as well as the community aspect, so where I was coming from earlier asking about the wage is the it is a business you just said, uh, and you're providing for your family that you have. Yeah, <clears throat> the if we look back over some of the, some of those aspects of the journey, uh, and I'm I'm getting I have a it's a loaded statement, but the uh, the big issue um, provided you or demonstrated a way for you to generate a source of income in a legitimate way to look after, sustain yourself. It, but it gave you an income um, that was legitimate. You then um, had a, a job working for somebody else, but now you're running a business um, 
And if you could go back to young, your younger self and paint the picture of where you are today, um, running your own business with a family, a wife and children, a home uh, that you're, you're supporting, would you have believed it? No, not in a day, not in a million years now. When I do talks, and uh, so sometimes we go into prisons and do talks to the lads and stuff, and I, I, I often said, if you would have asked my younger self, could I create a business and form it myself and thing, I'd be, I would be laughing all the way now, because the the barriers and as a young offender or as um, somebody that that's not had many breaks in life and that, that's had barriers and that's had obstacles and barriers in front of me. For you to say, somebody to come along and say, actually, if you join us together as a team, you can overcome those barriers, you can overcome those obstacles, and you become empowered yourself. Um, it would have been amazing. And that's to be honest, that's what I do to others now is, is pass that information on and, and knowledge on. But if you've got problems, if you've got issues, if you've got trying to get up industry ladders and stuff, you could always form your own company and do that. It's not as difficult as you think. I'm a big advocate for forming CICs and CIOs. And, but it's making a, you know, it's two yeah. of the things you said, it's empowered, which is so important, especially when you take mm. being empowered coupled with what you've done, the epiphany moments you described in that um, making yeah. a decision, it's, everything starts with a thought and making that conscious mm. decision to empower yourself to control your own destiny to a point where yeah. you now, um, you're not homeless, you're not, uh, nope. you're, you're doing good for the community as opposed to- I'm contributing um, into society. Yeah, exactly. There, there is a big sense of me that wants to pay back my younger years, you know, when I was when I was nasty, when I was selfish and stuff. And I have a big part of me that says, right, well, this is about balance. I think a lot, I think balance is key in all things in life and i think this, that my point of balance now is is, is right okay i upset my younger years let's let's you know let's let's balance it back out now in my in my later years uh, and as it goes it's a great empower for yourself for your own thingies as well so yeah no i i i, I regularly i'll quite often say to, to say to people well you want to get up that corporate ladder or that career ladder but you've got barriers and you won't get past that point become self-employed and do it yourself it's a risk you're putting a lot of eggs in a basket to do it but the rewards ask any social entrepreneur the rewards that you get from it are so yeah it's amazing it's so empowering it's so yeah uh you mentioned earlier whilst we were chatting and asked like what you know what was your motivation during those times and you said just to have fun it's um at those times there was no real consequence or nothing to lose but as you started to carve this new future for yourself and you was trying, you know, things were knocking you and you were trying to find a way, staying back on that path, um, both then and if it's different now, what keeps driving you to keep doing what you're doing? The belief in what we're doing, why we're doing it. The belief in the, in the, there, there has to be, or there is better ways for community models, for business models to work with the community, I think. The industry is soaked with 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 asset, what do they call it, information technology asset disposal. So they have these terms, don't they, B2B and B2C, you know, business to business and business to consumer. Um, being a fan of social enterprises, community organisations, groups, gathering, you know, those, those, I think my mum was a hippie. I definitely have, have uh, images of my mum being a hippie because I certainly have that kind of communal vibe going on. And I think organisations coming together and, and empowering them is, is so refreshing, so, so empowering, so, it's soul food, you know? So you, you, you have, big organizations that move all these digital devices all around the place and all around the world. And I think, and I realized, well, hang on, why can't on a smaller scale, obviously not, 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 not dealing in hundreds of thousands of machines and stuff, but thousands of machines we could do. Why can't we work on a lower scale and be a, a community version of these? Like take, take the industry standards, take the industry models and how they work and how they do and apply all that into a community model. 
Yeah. And there are a few others. It's, you know you're onto a winners or you know you're onto a good thing. When everybody turns around and says, that's amazing what you're doing, but there's also a, a little small cluster, a peppercorn cluster of others doing it as well around the country. So there's Airedale Recycling, um, Sheffield, Aspire, Community Computers, PC Refurb, Recycle IT. You see, there's a small group of social recyclers around um, that get it. There's a guy who did that round here as well. He um, runs, well, he's actually sold his business now, but he ran a quite reasonably sized IT firm. But especially during the pandemic, uh, when children were needed to learn at home, but there's the digital um, adversity in this area, digital poverty, um, he set up part of his bit, well, didn't set it up, he literally had groups of his team and just said, right, donations, companies will recycle it, we'll get it out to schools, we'll get it out to the community. And it's such an important thing that's needed. There is a genuine gap there. The, the government tried to help and the government tried to do stuff and the industry tried to help and, and, and businesses tried to help and do things and stuff. And there's all setups there. Uh, um, there's always going to be gaps. There are always doesn't matter how what model is, how brilliant it is, whatever, you know, it's going to be the best in the world that catches it 100%. Oh, there'll be gaps. And there's always, and I think with this, the amount of tech that everybody, everybody has tech. And this is one of the part of the difficulties when we've actually gone to the growth hub and the growth company and done the business plans and the cash flow forecast. That's the difference this time is we've put everything from the very, very beginning before we went to trading was get everything in place, get all your four pillars in place, profit, product, price, placement, get all your cash flow forecast, work it all out, your business plan, you, you bought your business canvas and get it all on and get it all done. That's really important. It's all very well doing a good thing, but if the business, if it's a bit, it is a business and if it's not sustainable, it isn't going to survive. The, um, I'd like to ask, uh, one of the things you touched on a moment ago when you was talking about, uh, when you talk to, uh, inmates, uh, young people, uh, and the advice you give them. Uh, what I'd love to do is encompass that into sort of one uh, point here. Uh, you've been through a hell of a journey uh, right from the teenage years. Uh, and there are people who will have experienced that and there are other people watching who, who have never experienced it and, and won't be able to comprehend um, having been through that sort of uh, lifestyle to where you are now. It's um, two things I'd love to ask you. One is what piece of advice or you know a couple of pieces of advice you would give to somebody who's in a position you was in your late teens, early 20s. Um, what would you say to somebody like that in that position? Um, um, the, to help them or inspire or direct them and then last piece is what would you say to somebody who's never experienced that who may have an opportunity to do what the big issue did or anybody else or, or any organization to um, give somebody an opportunity younger version of yourself if you could give your younger self some advice to be a good person let you let your own mind be your own judge but be a good person People like good people, and being a good person is better than being a bad person, and pe uh, a person that people don't like. Yeah, so be a good person. Try to be a, you know, the best person that you can be. Be a good person. Do good things. I think I've had a, a, I've had a got that a lot younger. <laughs> Not selfish and bad things. Yeah. But we're all in a journey for a reason, and we all reach the points where we're at. Um, uh, and the other is, was what would I say to somebody that's in the same position that could do the same thing? Um, go for it. Seek guidance. Ask your friends. Ask, look for mentors. Look for support programs around you. But go for it. If people say to you, "You've got a brilliant idea there," and they're not, and they're not just, you know flanneling you and just pacifying you and saying it you know you genuinely have got a good idea and it's a good model and it's a good and you think it's got legs and you take it to your friends and they say the same and you take it to an advisor i tell you what here's a good take your idea 
to chat GPD. <laughs> oh dear. He thinks it's a good idea as well. The, yeah, you know. The, uh... No, literally, the, the, that, those are the kind of things we... Yeah, but yeah, that's what I'd say to somebody, is go for it. it, it it's, as long as it's, you know, something that, that, that's good, something that's, that's uh, positive, that's an improvement, that's, you know, and you believe in it, and other people believe in it. I think one of the things that's kept me going longest about all of this is when other people come into contact with our business model, with our community business model, the, the astounded people are astounded, people are impressed, people are in awe, and that that's my power, that's that's my soul food, is when people get it and they go, oh, that's amazing what you're doing, that, ting, my little bank goes up higher, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, thing is. And, and to, before we, we touch off, there's some of the stuff that we're actually doing as well at Recycle IT is we're actually going into innovation. Um, so we're working with Manchester um, University and the Growth Hub and some 3D printers. Um, so we take SSD drives, uh, we take the laptops, so laptops, they have HDDs in them, um, hard drives. Uh, hard drives basically for anyone who doesn't understand out there or hasn't heard it they're, they're a record player so there's a disc inside of it with a little arm that goes back and forth um, and they're quite slow they have a spin up speed and a spin down speed and a read speed um, we have a newer technology I haven't got any to hand at the moment but we have um, SSD solid state drives thank you yeah so you can see what's coming yeah so we're taking out hard drives out of these and putting in SSD drives um, no big brainer it boots up the system but one of the problems is these things weren't made to have SSD drives put into them so they don't have the housings they don't have the couplings they don't have the main you know there's a gap so working with Manchester University and our plastics and innovations department there with the growth hub too we're looking at 3d printing the housings for laptops so that we can take p3s i3 p3s and p4s and p5s um and isn't a p5 <laughs> uh, i take older laptops with with hard drives in and take them out put the ssd drives 3d print the housing uh double up the ram and then make them back available to the community that's one of our one of our innovations yeah is let's extend the lives of things let's get let's, let's keep them going there's a few other things around that we're, we're looking at working on once we've passed our startup phase and so we're looking at a community fixing repair shop so pc repair shops literally when you go and take your laptop in or your device in or whatever they'll take it from you take it into the back and you won't see it again until you you come back for it we want to make a, a an open cafe style dropping pc repair shop with trainees and placements alongside professionals fixing your equipment and showing you what they're doing to it while while you're doing it yeah an open community pc repair shop that has a set price you know that has a and like a set price for fx like a 30 pound instead of a hundred but you know one of the a community version of that 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 would spring from it um and we want to do phone repairs so there's a, a group in london um called cracked it and they fix iPhones and other phones, but they, um, the kids that are doing it are uh, 16 to 24 year olds at risk of street crime and gun culture. And it's re-harnessing the power of fingertips. And I think it's an amazing model. It's an absolute brilliant model. And they've become London's biggest and best iPhone fixer. And these are kids at risk of crime, at risk of going into wrong routes, like I was, that same point journey. And I think there was something around there that just repurposed and reharnessed my thoughts and my fingers. Maybe I wouldn't have gone down darker routes. And I think that's an amazing model. So we want to do a similar one from Recycle IT. We want to do a smashed IT. So working with phones. We have to get over our first years. But these are the kind of things that we want to do. We want to diversify and innovate and become a beacon organization to the community and to the industry and say, look, your business models are amazing. This is, this is how the industry works. But there's room, there's slight room here for a little variation in, in community models and community versions of them. Yeah. That's really good. It's been really nice chatting to you, John. It's been a really Thank you, inspirational story, um, an amazing journey. And it's lovely to see where you are today that ultimately 
um, you, you're at a point where taking control of your destiny, owning your accountability, um, you're providing for your family and giving back to the community as well uh, through running yeah. your own business. It's um, a fantastic journey. Um, it's an amazing vehicle, yeah. It's an amazing opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I want to thank you for sharing it with us. It's been great talking to you. Not a problem. Thank you, John. Namaste. <laughs> Not a problem. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this interview. Uh, please remember to hit follow on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. It really helps the algorithm and push this podcast up through the rankings. And also leave some feedback. I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Drive. Until next time, this is Drive, the small business podcast from UKBF.